1921, the Dow Jones was 1,150, and eight years later, it had gone up nearly 500% to 6,700 inflation-adjusted points. Hello and welcome back to the C. Thomas Printer Cooperative, a place to make you think, make you remember, and make you smile. Good morning. I'm Osseta Jones and welcome back to Bygone Relics. I'm here with C. Thomas Printer and he's here to talk about positivity. C. Thomas, what do you know about positivity at all? Good morning, Austerity. And the answer to your question is very little. But first, let me tell you a story about a dumpy, fat-looking little Mexican boy that grew up to launch Fernando Mania. Fernando Valenzuela didn't look like an athlete. He had a weird wind-up for a baseball player, and before throwing the ball to the plate, he would glance skyward, perhaps, perhaps using his parietal eye or breathing out of his eyelids like the lava lizards of the Galapagos Islands. Regardless of which, he started off the 1981 baseball season going 8-0 with five complete games and a 0.50 ERA for the Los Angeles Dodgers. In Hispanic-rich Southern California, the craziness, Fernando Mania was in full bloom. They played ABBA's hit, Fernando, and they would pack the ballpark and sing and dance, and it was joyous. The Dodgers would go on to win the World Series that year, and Fernando would become the only player in history to win Rookie of the Year and the Cy Young for Best Pitcher in the same season. It was exuberance in Los Angeles in 1981, but like all exuberances, it wouldn't last. Fernando would never again be as good, although he carved out a nice career, but for that small window of time, everything seemed perfect. That small window of time, looking back, actually stretched across the summer and into a fall. During the summer of 1981, it seemed like it would last forever, but in a moment, it was gone. 1981 also marked the end of the terrible inflation as the economy was thrown into recession by Paul Volcker as he wrestled inflation to the ground with sky-high interest rates. But it was the beginning of something as sure as 1982 was the end of. It was the beginning of the longest stock, bond, and real estate bubble in history. Let's look at history first. During World War I and immediately after, the U.S. experienced 18.5% annualized inflation up through 1920. If we look at our chart from last week on market trends, and I'll attach the link again, we can see that the Dow Jones bottomed in the summer of 1921. For the next eight years, the country was exuberant. The Roaring Twenties were Fernando mania across the nation. Times were good, credit was easy, margin was plentiful, and people traded stocks as an occupation, making huge sums of money. Buy on the margin, for there was no SEC and people did. They became wealthy and they lived opulently. They showed off their wealth on Instagram and TikTok. See, Thomas, they did not. Oh my well, God. austerity, they did. So, because, you know, the paper was the social media of the day, the newspaper. They okay. took pictures of their houses and their parties, and people talked about how it would be great to be wealthy, and the whole world 
The whole country tried to take shortcuts to get there. The wealthy threw great parties and everybody wanted to attend, but to most of the public, their only peek into this lavish lifestyle was through the newspapers. In 1921, the Dow Jones was 1,150, and eight years later, it had gone up nearly 500% to 6,700 inflation-adjusted points. You see, no one thought the market would ever go down. Cover up your chart at 4,000, then 5,000, then 6,000, and you see complete exuberance, complete euphoria, complete naivety that the market would ever correct itself back to a, being a place to value companies and for stocks to raise capital and their future returns matter instead of a casino that offered get rich wealth. The Roaring Twenties generation had to learn that lesson for themselves because as we talked last week, it was 30 years before the market would again take out those highs. Many owners of stock lost everything. Some committed suicide by jumping out of windows. Others died more privately by gunshot wound at home, too proud to face their lives after realizing their foolishness, and others got to live through the Great Depression. Many of the nouveau riche forced to stand in line, hoping to get called to work for manual labor for the day. Humble pie was served, but there was often no other food being served, as many people barely survived starving to death. It was one of the lowest points and moments in our nation's history. See, Thomas, this isn't positivity. I would say this is downright depressing. That, <laughs> that's why they called it a Great Depression austerity. Oh, but anyway, I just told you that the stock market went up 500%. doesn't get more positive than that. Joseph Kennedy got out of the stock market just before the crash, and his family has been rich and wealthy ever since. That's positive. He was one of the richest and most powerful men in America. There is even a great-grandson, RFK Jr., that is running for president this very year. He is a direct descendant of this great dynasty formed out of the exuberance of the 1920s and the bootlegging, but that is a story for another day. You see, what made the Great Depression unusual was that it lasted so long. We have, covered, we have covered other depressions that preceded it, but by 1932, when the Dow Jones normally would have bottomed, the country would recover. But you see, the government had gotten itself a bigger piece of the economy by then. Programs, taxes, the Federal Reserve, they all clogged up the works. And the depression lasted almost 10 years. And then the war drug us out of it finally. Without the war, things might have been very different. We have talked about how the government seized the citizens' gold, the banks took their farms, and the government spent money and started programs that seemed innocent, but today are an anchor around our country's neck. It took 30 years, but gradually the, the Dow recovered and made new highs, from 1932 lows of 1,000 to 9,000 in 1966. That's an 800% return if you had bought at the bottom and had the good sense to sell in 1965. Well, even in 1968, the Dow Jones was still over 8,000 when Joseph Kennedy lost the second of his two sons to assassination, RFK Jr.'s father, Bobby. But the foolish spending of his uncle, President JFK, and literally the most powerful man in the world, and Lyndon Johnson would start the ball rolling downhill until the market bottomed in 1982. 
Waves of inflation crushed businesses in the 1970s. Companies were forced to move businesses overseas to be competitive, and the gold standard of the world was broken, and the fiat dollar was the currency du jour. Just as Fernando Mania had celebrated its championship, another mania began quietly. In October of 1981, the 30-year treasury bond yielded over 14%. By June of 2020, it yielded 1.47%. Bonds are valued in an inverse of their yield. So look at it this way, 1.47 to 14%. That's about a 900% return. It's not exactly how the math worked, but a huge bull market has run in bonds is good enough for our investigation today. The DQYDJ has a chart, and I will include that link, that shows the average home prices in 1982 being 62200 and that nominal price today is almost 400000 almost a 600% increase. Stock prices, they bottomed in 1982 in the Dow Jones at almost 2700 and today they are at 35000 That is almost a 11 100% return in a little longer time period, 41 years. So what have we learned in the last two weeks? After huge periods of Fernando mania-like exuberance, the Kennedys become powerful and the stock market sells off for 30 years. Easy peasy. Joe Biden is semi-senile, Kamala Harris is a disaster, and the Republican Party can't decide if they want Donald Trump, who lost to Joe Biden, or another character. But in the meantime, Robert Kennedy Jr. is getting more powerful by the day. That is our first signal and one to watch. I am only being semi-facetious regarding the Kennedys and not at all about the senility of Joe Biden or the exuberance of the financial markets, stocks, bonds, and real estate. Do you think history is not going to repeat itself? In fact, I would say that it has already tried. You see, in, 19, in 2008, without government involvement in spending, we would have likely fallen into a depression. The financial markets and banks would have crashed and it would have been very difficult for a while. But our politicians are smart. No, I didn't mean that. They're a dumb bunch of horses asses. But in regard to politics, they're smart. When the economy crashed in 1929, Herbert Hoover got it pinned on him and the Hooverville homeless camps were named after him. FDR came along and hung the bad economy around his neck and won the next four presidential elections. And Democrats won an entire generation of voters. In the spending 60s, JFK and, jo JFK and Lyndon Johnson got the inflation tied around their neck by Nixon and the Republicans, and they carried the presidency for most of the next 20 years except for an inept interlude of Jimmy Carter due to Nixon's bumbling of Watergate. So when the economy started to falter at the end of George W. Bush's term, in part because of his spending, the Republicans were all too happy to pin it on Obama. Obama realized that he was one and done if he couldn't spin it, and he tried to put it back on the Republicans. So together they compromised and put it on the people. That's right. They bailed out the big banks and the insurance and the big businesses bought off the politicians. The bankers got their bonuses and got to resume their game a couple years later. Ben Bernanke got a Nobel Prize for bailing out the banks. 
Nancy Pelosi got Hank Paulson, the head of the Treasury, to literally go down on one knee and kiss the ring and beg her for $800 billion or the banks would go broke by the end of the weekend. That's right. In September of 2008, Paulson begged Pelosi to let the federal government bail out the banks or it was all over. These power-hungry politicians agreed. Now, George W. Bush is worth about $50 million, but he came from some money. Obama has $100 million, and he lives on Martha's Vineyard. He made about $400,000 a year in office. Pelosi's worth $100 million, and her husband's the greatest stock trader in the world, and that includes Warren Buffett. Ben Bernanke, we talked about, won a Nobel Prize for economics. Henry Paulson, who came from Goldman Sachs Bank, is worth about $700 million. The two politicians had salaries of about two, three hundred k for years, so I'm not sure how they got their wealth. But my point is, they all stayed in power. No party went away for 20 years. They shirked it on the American taxpayer. Are you ready for one last chart? The St. Louis Fed has a chart of total public debt, and it was less than $1 trillion during Fernando Mania in 1981. It was $9 trillion when George W. Bush left office, a gain of 800%. And it is now at $32 trillion, a gain of 3,100%. We should have crashed decades ago, but the government in charge didn't want to become Hoovervilles. They printed the money and didn't let us take our 30 years of medicine. We never got humbled the way the people in the depression did, the way the people in the inflation did. We got a Cliff Notes version and then they printed money. X's and O's in some phony federal ledger and all the pain went away. I do not believe in pain avoidance. I believe the rest of the world noticed and since 2014 haven't been buying our debt. They know we can't pay back $32 trillion, and just next month, August 24th, the BRICS are scheduled to meet and roll out their currency. Now, I'm not sure that the BRICS will be the sign of a 30-year reversal or even the appearance of a Kennedy, but I do know this. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Folks, this is the biggest bubble in history of the world, and I am positive we will have to take our medicine in some form or other. Remember Joseph Kennedy Sr. and make sure the piano doesn't fall on your head. Sincerely yours, C. Thomas Printer. On the state in history, 67 years ago to be exact, the Suez Canal was seized and nationalized by Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser. This week's thought experiment what would you do if you were president of the United States and there is a financial crisis? Would you let it fail and risk depression and Hooverville camps of homeless Americans? Or would you let Congress and the Fed print the money and bail out the rich folks? George W. Bush answered this question and specifically said Hoovervilles weren't happening during his presidency. That also marked the end of the Republicans as a conservative party. Also born on this date, the founder of the School of Analytical Psychology, Carl Jung. 